0: Hello folks, this is the High Performance Human Podcast and I'm your host Simon Ward. Before we get into today's show, I want to talk about what it means to be a high performance human. It has nothing to do with how fast you swim, bike or run, but it's got everything to do with your sleep, your nutrition, your physical activity, your personal relationships, your work habits and so much more. If these are areas that you'd like to improve on, we would love to help you. I currently have availability to take on a few clients, and my wife Beth, who is a certified life coach, also has some availability. So, depending on what you're looking to focus on, we have you covered, and you can find contact details in the show notes below. Now on to today's podcast guest. There aren't many British triathletes who have dipped under eight hours for an Ironman event. In fact, I can remember back to 1996 when Lothar Leder from Germany was the first man to break that magic sub-eight hour barrier. And how we all thought that that was superhuman then. It was like the four-minute mile for triathletes. And whilst there have been dozens of athletes since that time who have finished with a seven at the start of their time, that does not diminish the achievement. Going sub-eight is still superhuman. Recently at Ironman Hamburg, Sam Praktar had the race of his life, crossing the line in seven hours, 55 minutes. This is the story of how he did it. We cover his journey from self-confessed not very good triathlete to get his pro license, the benefits of having a coach, how Ironman racing has changed massively in the last four to five years, and finally, what it feels like to join the Sub-8 club. So I'm going to shut up now. So let's get straight to it and hear from
1: Sam himself.
0: Hey, great pleasure to have Sam Proctor on the show. Welcome, Sam.
1: Hi, Simon. How are you?
0: Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Um, More pointedly, how are you recovering after that stellar performance recently?
1: Yes, uh, I'm getting there. It's not been um, as plain sailing as I'd like, but we're certainly getting back to some proper training now, which is nice.
0: Yeah, well, as I said, as we were chatting just before the show there, personal best performances require personal best recoveries, right?
1: Yes I think it's um nice to know that you've um it's taken quite a while to recover because um I think it shows that you did put sort of everything in that you could um and there wasn't really left anything left so that was that's quite a nice feeling I think it's how you should feel after an Ironman, man I think
0: so. yeah and and whilst I know you've done a lot of uh, Ironman man races and outlaw races um I guess that sometimes you you always get to the finish line thinking I wonder if I could have pushed a little bit harder. I guess you probably couldn't have pushed any harder than you did in Hamburg. Uh,
1: No, no, to be honest with you, I was actually, um, it's not often an athlete will finish over the line and say I think they gave everything they could. And I I honestly do, on that day, believe that Mm. I got everything I could. Um, I didn't didn't have much confidence going in on my run for the actual race. Um, Speaking to Mark, we sort of wanted a 250 run um but I sort of didn't really think would do much quicker than a three hour and I spoke to a friend the week before and said oh I'd be made up with a 245 um and then you know it just to get the 246 um I was running and waiting for it to sort of go pop (laughs) um, yeah yeah. Oh well. hadn't quite didn't quite do that so yeah it was uh I, I was pleased with the performance to be fair
0: yeah. Well, well, we'll come back to that and t- talk about it in, in a bit more depth later on. But let, let's let's sort of rewind, Sam, and uh, talk about how you got to this point. What, what, was your, what was your first start in triathlon? Did you come from a, a cycle background, a running? Were you, were you a child swimmer?
1: No, no, nothing. Um, as a teenager, I did a high-performance skiff sailing. Um, so in, when I was sort of my teenage years and younger 20s, um, I did my first triathlon in... 2011 which was a little place in in Norfolk actually called Fritton Lake um it was Olympic distance and I was awful to be honest with you um but I loved it so and then just sort of uh continued from there um my dad's done triathlon since 1989 when I was born um I got a bit of a top trump actually because you're I've listened on to your shows is getting people with low membership numbers from British triathlon oh yeah and my dad's is two hundred ninety eight, so that's quite. Really? A, yeah. Wow. so he, He's been in the sport for quite a while, so. Um,
0: that's lower than mine. Then I, I,
2: yeah.
0: I did join British Triathlon when I first started doing triathlon. Then then I left, and they whatever <laughs> I'd, i can't, I can't remember what number I had, and so then when I rejoined, I got one six two six. So, right, um, yeah. I, I doubt. I doubt even if my first one would have been down as low as two seventy nine. So that's that's pretty good. He was, uh, he was one of the uh, OGs, as they say.
1: Yeah, he was. Um, yeah, and as kids, we were always round dad doing triathlon and getting chucked in the car at four a.m. on a Sunday morning. Um, and what's your dad's what's your dad's name? Simon Simon Proctor. Um, he was. I'm going to
0: dig old. out some. I'm going to dig out some old results Sam, yeah,
1: was, and see was, if. Was, and see back, back. was there. yeah. So see yep. if you yeah he was a. Uh, so yeah, um, and then sort of went in continued on from 2011 really and just sort of um i did the usual i say it's usual it was usual for me i just swam bike and run as hard as i could for about four years um and just just gradually progressed that way um and then sort of got a bit more serious about it
0: what sort of results were you getting then once once you'd done that first awful performance at Fritton lake what sort of results were you getting were they just average age group results
1: yeah yeah, uh, i wouldn't not the first few no i was like an hour for the run um yeah, you know, swimming was—I I never took too badly to swimming. It was okay, but thirty, thirty-five minutes for sort of um, fifteen hundred meters. I, I just played with Olympic distance for the first few years, and then sort of built up to middle distance. I think it was maybe sort of twenty fourteen. Mm. Uh, yeah, but no, it wasn't ne- ne- never never anything that was um, groundbreaking. No, <laughs> it's
0: really it's really interesting, isn't it? Because I, I can remember my. My best performance as an age, you know, doing standard distances age group was two 2.14, I think, at Swindon. So I'd probably have done yeah, 22, 23 minutes in the swim and just over an hour on the bike and just sort of 40, 45 minutes on the run. And it always makes me think, you know, when you're talking about you just making an hour on the on the run and, uh, and 30 minutes on the swim, where did I go wrong? Yeah, I'm not saying I could have got any better than that. Maybe that was my peak, but also maybe... Um that, that those times were back in the early nineties and I wonder if I'd had um if I'd had the access to the knowledge that that's available now and the training techniques and um just the guidance because there wasn't really much back in the nineties, then I wonder if I wonder if I could have done any better. Or maybe I know. just maybe I just should have given up <laughs> drinking with my mates on a Friday night a bit sooner.
1: Um I don't I think I think you're right. I think you know, we have so much more access now to um Science data. There's so much more background in the sport, and just looking at recent results, you can tell that, can't you? You know, things are just moving on and moving on, and it it doesn't feel that long ago for you because you you did it. But you know, it probably you know you're talking, you know, even from when I started, how how things have changed, and it's and that's and you know, 2011 feels relatively soon. It was only a year later that we saw probably one of the best triathlon performances in the Olympics. So, you yeah, know, yeah. it's um it's not that long ago but it feels like a lifetime ago well you know
0: 1992 you'd have been what 3 3 or 4 yeah
1: 3 yeah 3
0: 1992 so, yeah so in that in that time i mean you know he's gone through british triathlon and, and and having low numbers like your dads and mine yep. um to having a formal coach education program they didn't i mean there wasn't even a national team back then it was just people who could swim very well that that got invited to camps um and steve true and people of his ilk were looking after it, um, and they're still around now. But Steve sort of always does his, you know, he's, he's looking back on his little Facebook page, you know, the good old days of the eighties and nineties. It, it doesn't seem that long, but it's it's a lifetime, really, in, in terms of the development of the sport.
1: It, it, it certainly feels like from the outside. You know, I wasn't doing triathlon in nineteen ninety three, but I feel like triathlon has changed so much more in the last ten years than it did in those twenty years. Um, yeah, know, yeah. And, and you know, between. In those early years, when Dad was doing it, um, we—I you know, d- I don't think much change, A little bit changed, but I think the change in the last ten years has been. But well, I, I think even the five years has just been—it's just gone mental. It's—it's mm. it's, it's like a different—it's like a different sport again um, from within the last ten years.
0: Yeah, well, I can, I can remember evolutions in standard distance race. You know, it always used to be um, swimmers and bikers could get off and almost survive on the run. Then it then it went to a point where. Um, it was the runners who were coming through. Um, I remember before it became drafting uh, legal, there was a lot of bigger guys who were good triathletes because they were the bikers and swimmers who could get a big lead and they could run pretty well, but they wouldn't have they wouldn't have been anywhere near today's runners. You know, they were maybe posting 35, 36 minutes, but they could hang on. You know, people like Robin Brew and Spencer Smith wouldn't have a chance these days, would they? Because they'd be probably ten kilos too heavy. <laughs> yeah, um, but 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 you know you look at i mean robin came from being a you know an olympic record holder in swimming but spencer was five-time world champion but he wouldn't get a look in today you know he'd, he'd be up there on guts and glory but nothing else
1: no i, I think you just look at the reign of the god in, in our current sport you know um like jan Frodeno coming back to hamburg you know and it you know when he was racing kona in 2019 and you know he had he sort of had the walk of the park and he, comes racing now and he doesn't have the walk of the park um in and, and there's just the depth and field and how much it's moved on in even in that small period of time so no it's mm. uh, it's scary but it's, yeah. it's, but it's scary
0: so you you started doing you started doing middle distance um at what point did you start making improvements that that sort of put you towards the front of the pack and what and what and what was it you think that made the difference there
1: um certainly getting for, certainly going with mark having a coach uh, mark pierce and Teddy try we've been together since 2015 um so getting on to oh, yes 2015 16 so seven eight years i think we've been working together um and the, the biggest the biggest thing was just having that structure for me was uh because I, I like i said i just spent i just i just swam bike and ran every day and probably it was just yeah what wasn't probably, I was definitely doing too much. Um, too much of everything too fast. Um was my was where I was going wrong <laughs> before I before I joined with Mark. Um and just having that um I quite like the accountability and having that accountability really sort of helped my my progression. And we we found some quick progression. Um, a bit like anything when you start, isn't it? You you there's always that big jump forward and then I sort of just kept kept plugging away yeah. and um i think the, I, I went to was it zlmz i think 2015 the world oh, championships oh,
0: um oh yeah yeah i think i might yeah. have done that one yeah you you had to go that You had to get a really yeah. fast start and then you dropped into Valley and there was that really long climb that just was like a ramp test because as you got into the village you got steeper and then there was yeah. that super fast descent yeah down the other side yeah yeah
1: so hot there. lovely, that lo- nice lovely course yeah lovely love absolutely beautiful place um and then after that, I just decided to get a bit more serious, and I think I did. Must have been the um, what's the one at Rutland? Uh, did it? Oh, little... um,
0: uh, yeah, Betrubiens. Yeah,
1: um, Petru... no, no, oh, not Rutland. Graf... Grafman, sorry, Grafman. I got it. They got there in the end, and I won that one year. Na- na- it was national champs, and then just sort of progressed to McRae's, and then. Um, dad's always been a big influence to be fair um he's always sort of said oh why don't you try this he sort of knew so much more about the sport and was like oh, why don't you try doing a few pro races and we just sort of looked at it and it just it just every year just kept sort of plugging away really
0: so I, I had a little look at your blog um which sadly stopped uh after about 18 months but yeah. i can i can ask the guess to why but at that point there was a there was a post in there where you'd well, you said 2018, I'm going to go throw everything at it this year. Is, that, is yeah. that right? Is that the turning point for you when you decided to give it everything? And it was like shit or bust, if you like.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, we, I, at the time, I, I sort of had a job that would, could be flexible, and I sort of you know worked when I needed to rather than working every day. I, I did. I just wanted to go and give it a go. Um, it was one of those points. I, I, I love the sport, and I just as much as I. It is now a technically a job. I'm still a massive fan of the sport, and mm. just to be able to race alongside some of the names I've raced against is is, is a is a pleasure, and a, and I'm quite proud of that. To be fair, um, so it's nice to just uh, keep plugging away and doing it. So 2018 was definitely the turn point. Um, went away with Joe Skipper on a camp. We went to font in um, in August 2018. And I secured my licence, I think, because I won Holcomb in 2018, I think, because it was a gateway event at the time. Um, I got my licence off of that. Um, And then I went and raced. It was my first pro race, official pro race, was um, uh, Ironman 70.3 Weymouth. Um, And that was in September.
0: So you mentioned Joe. Um, Joe's also from... uh, You're from Norfolk originally, right?
1: Uh, my grandparents are so. Dad, Dad lives in Norfolk. Um, right. I, I was, we were born in London, um, and always grew up in London. So, but Dad lived in, he's lived in Norfolk for about twenty years now, fifteen, twenty years.
0: So Joe's from Norfolk.
1: Yeah. So
0: is that a coincidence that you ended up on a camp together, or did you because you had that sort of, um, sort of link? Did did you sort of um, help each other out in triathlon and uh, and share experiences or? Was
1: it just coincidence? Uh, More because dad uh, was a bike mechanic and had a bike shop. So, um, knowing Joe's bike record, he was always in there and dad was always (laughs) out. And um, (laughs) we just sort of became friends via that sort of contact. So, um, because I did a lot of triathlons in Norfolk because that's where dad lived and um, we sort of became friends. I always remember one going out for one training session with Joe and I just was sitting on his back wheel. And it was, you know, this was, I wasn't as good as i am now essentially and i just sat the whole day just staring at his back wheel just (laughs) trying to hold on for dear life um and we got back and we went for this run afterwards and i remember going back into his house he said i'll make you some food because it'll make your recovery better for tomorrow i was like joe i don't think a little bit of food is going to help me after this you know it was quite the days of joe just chewing his handlebars and um riding hard off the front but yeah so we were, yeah we have some good session, had some good travels together. Um, not so much now, but back in 2018,
0: 2019. Are, are you strong enough to give Joe your wheel now?
1: No, Joe still rides harder than me. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's why they call him tempo skipper, because everything's um yeah. <laughs> I am a bit more a bit more um by the way, a bit more periodized with my approach.
0: <laughs> but is that is it but that since you met Mark, right?
1: Uh yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um yeah.
0: Okay, so let's let's talk about turning pro because I know I, I get emails on a regular basis from younger athletes who say, I really want to turn pro. And I look at their some of the data they've shared and it's clear that they're, you know, they're miles off on the swim. Um, so they're just they're not even going to be at the gate, you know, in in the mix right from the off. Um they're not doing enough training, they're not even winning their race as an age group, or they're not even winning their age group, never mind the whole whole race as an age grouper, Um, and yet they want to turn pro and they've got this fanciful idea that they're going to make a nice career out of it and earn lots of money. And there aren't many people, even at the top level, that are actually doing that. There's probably a few more now since PTO have started organising everything. But tell us about what life was really like for you as a pro um and where and whether it's really just about um living the dream as as a full time athlete rather than uh, um buying yourself a big house by the sea and with a swimming pool
1: yeah certainly for me it's not um certainly not in the position to do that um, i i I'd definitely stay f- say for for me it's a lifestyle choice that was one sort of reason i i sort of the blogs and everything stopped at the end of 2019 was i just i um so I was I'm always a massive fan of the sport and I think when something becomes from goes from a hobby to becomes a pressure of earning mm-hmm. money and, um having bills to pay I just I lost the love for the sport unfortunately um not um so I just I just took a step back and decided that I was going to go back to work and did a few other things and just yeah for for me it wasn't the um it wasn't the uh, the beaches on the house and lovely training camps it was a it was quite a, i found it quite a pressure and i didn't actually enjoy it um for the i mean, i had some great results in 2019 um at the time i set the fastest second fastest debut i man as a, for a british athlete um i had a good result at frankfurt just towards the back of 2019 even after having a good year it it, it still was not it still wasn't financially um viable um so i just i decided to sort of take that pressure away i think and sort of mm. to just, act, just just to see if i could find the love again because it's one of it's it, it is a hard job and just doing it day in and day out when you haven't got the love is isn't it's not yeah easy.
0: i mean i think it could be you know you should have a, a conversation with mark about this but it could be the same as being a coach you know a lot of coaches i know they're triathletes they um they may be teachers or they've got this sort of sharing spirit and they're able to guide people. But if you're trying to race and train and you're coaching people, um, it, it does sometimes become a bit much. And, I, and I've got friends who say, oh, did you did you see the results from so-and-so at the weekend? Are you watching this on the telly? And I'm like, no, I didn't. No, I'm not. And they're like, why, why, why? And I'm like, it's just because it becomes a bit too overloading at times. Yeah. And uh, I prefer to just go out on my paddleboard. <laughs> yeah yeah i
2: exactly. listen to music
0: or go or go to the pub with with some friends who aren't doing triathlon to talk about something else for a change
1: yeah and 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 that was is i think you hear that so in so much now um we ended up there's nothing worse than going to a race and thinking you know i need to do well in this race because i need to earn some money and that was that mm. was unfortunately the harsh truth um, if i could give any bit of advice to anyone i would say yeah, unless you are have got that financial backing and you really can focus on it, then racing age group is is just as um, it's just as good for you as sitting at the back of a professional field and struggling because it's you'll find it far more enjoyable. Um, yeah,
0: after... I've, yeah, I've I've wondered about that when I've when I've seen um, when I've seen people jump up. I know I talked to um, Kit Kit Walker when he won an outlaw. And he wanted to turn pro the next year. But then, like a, lot of, like a lot of people, when they turn pro, they think, right, I need to, now I've got all this extra time. I need to use that time and up my training. And actually, they'd, they'd probably be better off doing the same training and just benefiting from the extra rest. But up in that training, because A, you think you need to fill the time to justify your decision. And B, because you want to make sure that you can justify your decision and win some money, often leads to folks getting injured. Then they can't race. Then it becomes an
1: absolute living nightmare, doesn't it? it does yeah and that was the um the biggest thing about ha- is having a coach I f- you find you know some some athletes won't have a coach when they go and do it and i think that's one thing you do need because you need to take that emotional that it, it leads to that emotional connection you know mm-hmm. where we like say we all think we need to do more and you know i i would i think if i'd coach myself i'd be training you'd be training far too much because i just i think you, you think you need to be doing more than what you're actually doing whereas mm-hmm. actually going to bed earlier and staying in bed a bit longer and eating properly is probably a bit better for you than doing a bit more training um, uh, that was that's where I, now a bit older and wiser i can sort of see that but maybe 3 years ago i couldn't
0: yeah and i mean you've got a great coaching mark he's a he's a sports scientist and he's been around the block and he's worked at the highest level with some you know a lot of other good athletes so he's got all of that knowledge that he can bring in and then add it to what what works for you um, and having the benefit of somebody who's quite pragmatic and to the point as well, isn't he, Mark? So if you're doing something wrong, he's, he'll probably tell you straight away. But, but uh, that.
1: It's quite funny. He let you, he'll let you make the mistake first, and then, and then yeah. he'll because <laughs> um, you need to. I think yeah, I, I quite like the philosophy. Is you need to understand why? Um, yeah. So uh, it's yeah. I, I, I like make the only way you learn is not the only way, but a, the good way to learn is by making a mistake is to re- not to do it again. Because if Mark just told me, "Oh, no, don't do that," in your mind you're constantly thinking why. But if you if you see why you not make that mistake, you know, you know not to do it again. um
0: Yeah, uh, that was the same approach that Malcolm and Jack had at, at the Leeds Performance Centre. Certainly with Alistair and Johnny, is so that they're, they're pretty headstrong, so just let them go out and do it, and then asked them to reflect on it afterwards and they were pretty good at doing that as well. So it was a good combination, but you've got, also as a coach, you have to recognise that that's how um, some athletes are, because there's definitely some athletes who like to be told they like the structure. And, you know, if, the, if if you don't tell them and give them guidance on what they should be doing, they're lost a little bit.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, we, uh, yeah. It, and he's, I, I'm not saying he does that with everyone. He certainly does it with me. No. Again, I'm quite headstrong. So yeah um, but I can't imagine if it was somebody else, um, he would, who wasn't as quite as headstrong, he would just let them go out and burn each match. But it certainly, um, I certainly learned the best way for me. Um, and, and Mark's very good at, like you say, he's a scientist. He's a, he's very clever and he's very data driven. Um, and unfortunately, the data doesn't always lie. Well, it doesn't lie, does it? It's it's science at the end yeah. of the day. Um, you can't you can't fool it. So um, yeah, yeah. It was, it was certainly the best way it certainly helped me progress a lot better and I've learned a lot I think from that um
0: but but also this, the, the data is one thing but then what you've got to do is look at that data and try to understand well what's led to that power output being suppressed you know and then go a bit yeah. deeper maybe it's because she hasn't been eating very well maybe it's because she's not been sleeping very well maybe it's because you have you know there's some external stresses in your life that are um that are having an impact, and then as the coach, it's like, okay, we need to take action here. Whereas a lot of people think, well, I'm not my power's down, so I need to train harder. Back to your point about doing a bit too much, you know, yeah. you need that, you need that guiding and understanding head from the coach to say, no, actually, that's not the reason. The best thing will be to just take your foot off the gas.
1: Yeah, for, yeah, we had this conversation yesterday. I don't know if you've sort of changed, not changed the topic, but it's um, you as a coach must find this as well is, as a, as as athletes do because as an athlete it's very quick to blame the coach aren't they it's it, you know not everyone yeah. but a lot of people can just say mm-hmm. oh I'm not good enough I'm not doing this but then I as an athlete I sit back and say right have, but have I done everything right to mm-hmm. you know Mark's written a plan and written tell told me what to do but have I done everything right have I slept enough have I eaten enough have I recovered properly mm-hmm. so you know it, it worked I think it, and you need that good relationship to make that work i don't believe every coach works for every athlete and i don't believe every athlete works for every coach so you've got to have that good relationship to really really bring you on and if i could give any bit of advice is to an athlete is make sure you're you're doing everything right before you start looking at somebody else to say that have 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 they done that right um yeah personally feel
0: yeah uh, over the years and i've been coaching for 30 years i've had athletes who for you know, blame the program. Well, the program wasn't good enough. I didn't, I didn't have a good result. And and I've, what I've, a, a position I moved to now, it's like, okay, the the important thing is to get you to the start line in great shape. Yeah. Right. Let's, let's get you to the start line because once you get to the start line, all sorts of things happen. You know, you can, your head can get turned by somebody who goes smashing off on the swim and you chase them when, when really you really shouldn't, you can get overtaken by somebody, you know, you're faster on on the bike and they're having a good day and you chase them and then you burn all your matches and you have a bad run. Your nutrition falls out of your pocket going over a speed bump, and then you you know you, you you're empty of carbs for the rest of the race. You get dehydrated because you forget to drink. You know all of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, have got nothing to do with your fitness. They're all about strategy or just events that happen. Um, you know. So, uh, and and I've I've you know there there are the good coaches as well. Are always uh, are always able to reflect on what they've done and and will hold their hand up and say actually you know I think we have got that a bit wrong, but. You know yeah. you've got most of the way there, and to be honest in most situations most of the way is good enough, isn't it? you know as long oh, as you're yeah. in the right ball as long as you're in the right ballpark
1: um for most folks that's going to be good enough if' not you know, for for ninety percent of athletes or you know not even you know for amateur athletes it's uh, i I try to say that you know we we're doing this as a choice remember no one's forcing yes. you to do it um so just enjoy it it's uh, it that's what i like I like to remember just enjoy it.
0: so let's let's finish off talking about life as a pro triathlete um you know you you were working at Holcombe for a while weren't you because we used to see you when we came over there to do the outdoor events but I you've not got a job at the moment
1: no um I still go back and do a bit of work there so we're we're based in Loughborough now so um we moved over uh to Loughborough in December but yes I was working in the Victoria uh, um the Victoria Inn it's a hotel restaurant um in Holcomb so I've worked there for pretty much three years just over three years um with the COVID sandwich in the middle um uh yeah it was I made some great friends uh I don't know if you know Ben who runs the um the Victoria in there he's the manager no, director. I,
0: think, I think I think we've met him yeah yeah, yeah
1: he's a he's my best man at the wedding he we he he's a triathlete as well so we just we heal it off and it just it was great to work with somebody and have a good friend around and had some great laughs um and some good times and he taught me a lot so he's helped me yeah i probably wouldn't be where we are now without that support so um that was i really enjoyed the time there because it it's a great place to work and yeah yeah it was it it was just it's unfortunately just not right for what we want to do now or what we want to achieve so um,
0: well, and of course, the ultimate boss over there, Lord Leicester, he's a, he's a keen triathlete, isn't he? Yes, he, he actually, I once wrote a coaching program and uh, had a few conversations with him when he was training for an Ironman. I can't remember which one it was. Um, and awesome. he said, he, Yeah, he came up to me at Halcombe uh, one and he, he said, good, good afternoon, Simon. I'm thinking, who do I know? And he said, I'm Tom Coke. Ah, your lordship. Yes, yeah. <laughs> me, and he said, Oh, don't worry about all that nonsense.
1: Yeah, it yeah, is. But such such
0: nice. a, such a nice bloke.
1: Yeah, really good. Uh, he yeah, he wouldn't. He he doesn't really like all the Lord, and he's a quite no. a. He's a great character. So um, it, it, we was um, he ended up coming in on our wedding at the last minute, and we ended up doing the Hey Macarena around the uh, dance floor with him. So it's quite yeah. It's um, he's a, he certainly has some good laughs in him. So yeah, yeah.
0: Was, so do do you are you making it? Are you making it work for you? I'm not going to embarrass you by asking you to share your financials status but are, are you making pro triathlon work for you because if you if you're chasing your tail like you mentioned earlier where you're getting on the start line thinking well i've got to, i've got to at least place fourth today in order to pay next month's mortgage or to buy next week's shopping um that that stress in itself can impact your training in a negative way so are, are you in a position where you know it's working for you and you're able to enjoy going to races and pick and choose rather than chasing your tail
1: um, actually, I wouldn't say yes embarrassing, so it's not an embarrassing um situation. We're quite fortunate that Hannah, my wife is you know we're in a good position now where she's got a good job, and I do some coaching, and we sort of we make we make it work. um we try not to worry about going into races, worrying about that financial side simply because we d- d- did not work last time, so I don't really want to fall back out into that mm. um into that situation. so uh, I had to, I suppose initially I had to, I, it wasn't quite clear cut going this year. I had to qualify my license again. Um, so that was a bit of pressure on Hamburg, um, cause I had a license until the 5th of June and the race was on the 4th of June. So, um, I needed to sort of make it work. <laughs> I needed, yeah, there was that sort of pressure going into Hamburg. So I, I had to make that work, um, but no, coming back to your question we, we, we certainly it, we're we're fine we we make it work um and there's not really a stress on us at the moment to make that financially that financial worry but we are we're i suppose uh, it comes back to when we was living in Holcomb and, uh, the long a long story is that the, um we were both working for, hannah works in london she was traveling to london twice a week i was working sort of 50 60 hours as a chef we never really saw each other And we sort of made the decision that that wasn't the life we wanted. Um, We wanted Mm. to have a life where we to be, you know, I was at home and well, as much as a trifle it can be at home. (laughs) Um, And we had a better lifestyle and that's sort of something that we, we, we sat down as a couple and decided it wasn't just a, I'm doing this and you're doing that. It was a a, a joint venture. I think this is for now. Mm. So yeah, it's uh, but we, we, we enjoy it. It's a good lifestyle. We've got, Dogs and Hannah likes to come to all the races, and yeah she's a triathlete herself, so she I think she understands
0: well you you're married now uh you mentioned the wedding there that you had at holcomb and yeah. so you're a partnership right and you've a team and it's so it's team proctor now and yes
2: you, yeah,
0: you know you've got to work together but I, I wanted to ask you about that I've had conversations with um with a lot of pro triathletes over the years um where we've talked about relationships and harmony and you know, environment and what sort of impact that has on just how comfortable you feel, how happy you feel, and how that can have a really then have a real influence on how successful the training is and the racing. When when you just feel like you're in a good place versus if if things are going wrong or you're not in a good relationship, how that can have a negative impact. Have you have you sort of noticed that um, in the last couple of years?
1: Yeah, for sure. Hannah is. Um... A lot of friends too. She's a quite an energy bubble, and is always very mm-hmm. different. Um, I, you know, I, I we don't really she doesn't get involved in the training, but she's uh, you yeah, know She doesn't need to. Um, I I know what I need to do, and I get I get on with it. But she certainly having that support just is 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 more than anyone could ever realise. I think because I've you know I've been in situations before where there's not that support, and it's certainly not 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 the best. Um but Hannah is um say so it's a team a team and we uh, we I like as much as I can be a bit of a grumpy sod on race week, I do enjoy her being there and um you know, we we sort of we like traveling around together and seeing places and Hannah goes off and does her bit and I go off and do my bit and we, we so like you say it's a great team effort and um it certainly wouldn't be I certainly wouldn't have got the result in Hamburg um that I got without that support this year because um mm. Yeah, you know, in January I was I was so unfit it was it was quite embarrassing really so it's been um having that support the last sort of six months has really brought the, the fitness back and made it not not so much hard work
0: do you you mentioned that you know whilst Norfolk is a lovely environment there's less traffic on the roads you know the roads are nice it's not it's not as flat as people think it's also challenging living there because it's really difficult to get anywhere you know it's almost like you've got two hours of journey before you get into it's like living on an island you've got two hours of journey before you get over to the main part of the uk and then you can get to london or to manchester or whatever um your coach was over in loughborough um i guess the choice and options for swimming pools um wasn't that great so that makes it more difficult when you've got a lot of training to do now that you've moved to loughborough um you're near your coach. You're near a lot of other athletes, which I guess gives you a group to train with. Um, how has that had an impact on the whole training process?
1: Yeah, it's made a, a massive difference. Um, I might say a bit too close to Mark sometimes. He's, um, his kids go to school right opposite, so he normally walks in in the morning for a coffee. So it's
0: uh, <laughs> <laughs> find him sitting in your living room yeah. with
1: the <laughs> yeah, sometimes he's downstairs before I'm up. So, um, it's uh, it's <laughs> that you know, for us as a as a partnership that's made a great a great difference because rather than picking up the phone I just he's there, you know, um and we see each other three, four times a week now, which is great mm-hmm. just for a coffee and chat. So um it doesn't actually come out on training with me. I sort of know what I need to do. I don't need he's not my water boy. So I sort of get on with that essentially on my own. But I've got some good trading partners up here. Um so you know having their um having their mindset is just yeah, you know I, I, it's just invaluable really because you, you know if they, if someone else is achieving it then you know you can achieve it as well so it's nice to have that yeah. um to have that daily swimming's great um i probably i swam more this year than i did in, probably in the two years i lived in norfolk so um it's that that's making a massive difference um it's a great pool so yeah it's uh i I wouldn't yeah I'd say i i I don't, I don't enjoy the cycling as much around here that's being honest mm-hmm. um that's just um I think that's because I was it spoil, spoiled in norfolk to, more than anything um because you could go out your front door and you wouldn't see anyone so um but here you know a bit out of town first, but the running's great um yeah it's uh it's it it's made the world a difference um I certainly couldn't have, i wouldn't have been able to put the performance together I wouldn't have been able to get the performance together i did in hamburg without while well, living in norfolk should i say um
0: where did do, do you swim at the 50 meter pool then at the university
2: yes yeah
1: and
0: are, are you able to join the performance squad there because i know they, no, they can be quite strict on that can't they
1: no 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 one's even you know um none of our lot are allowed so it's they are very strict on that um which it's not necessarily uh um a bad thing like we get there's we have a group of us and We swim, so um it's quite good this time of year because all the students have gone home. So (laughs) it's quite quiet, (laughs) which is quite nice. Um so it I haven't actually found it a problem to be honest with you. Um it's you can swim at similar times every day. You just book a lane and you you go down there. Um it's an eight hundred meter walk for us, so it's really not bad at all. So um so I've not I've not and they swim early. Like I don't, yeah. Well, they don't. I'm, I'm not. I'm not lazy, but I don't want to be swimming at seven o'clock in the morning. I quite like, yeah. I don't. I've got used to swimming at eleven o'clock in the morning. So
0: it's uh, it's really interesting, that isn't it? For years, I swam in a masters group in Leeds, and we would swim. Well, it used to be Monday, Wednesday, and Friday lunchtimes. And then when they change, when they knocked down the original 50 meter pool and they moved to the new one. Um, that became more difficult. So I used to go at seven in the morning and then and I used to go sometimes at five on a Saturday morning and swim for two hours. It was called Survival Saturday, which is challenging if you've been out because you get three hours sleep. Um, (laughs) And it was a hard set. And then COVID came and then all the sessions got disrupted. And now I swim with a group of guys. Most of them are retired. And um, we swim at half past nine on a, a Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning. And it's a great time of day yeah. You know, I don't have to, I don't have to get I get I get up early, but I, I don't I don't have any desire to be in the pool at seven a.m. anymore. And I, they, they've started opening up the master sessions to fifty meters on a morning, and it's seven to eight thirty. People keep saying to me, "Are you coming back?" You know, fifty meter pool. I'm like, Yeah, it's just yeah. not a big enough draw anymore, and it's right over the side of Leeds, so I've got to make my way through the traffic.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you there. I just can't get the. Um... Obviously, if I had to, I would. But when well, you know there's an option of um, not having to, then I, I, I can get up, take the dogs for a run. You know, do so I just structure my training a bit better. There's enough hours in the day to fit it in. Um, yeah, it's fine. It, it really is. You know, I, I think I get a, a bit more quality out of my swimming as well. You know, not going, uh, and going a VO two seven o'clock in the morning.
0: Yeah, I, I, I've always noticed that when when we used to swim. Uh, on a lunchtime versus a morning that i would never swim the same times or if i did it would feel 10 percent harder
2: <laughs> to
1: get
0: a particular time over 50 meters if i swam at lunchtime it just like I, I might i used to be able to swim 36 seconds for 50 and i'm like but it used to feel fairly comfortable on a morning you to struggle to get under 40 seconds for a 50 <laughs> <laughs> um so anyway um so well let's talk about um let's talk about hamburg we touched on it um you mentioned that you weren't particularly fit at the start of the year. So, um, was that just to kick back? Had you been ill, or was that just a, a sort of like a a big layoff from last season, or had you lost your mojo of it?
1: Yeah, just a. a, a I think all three really. I had I suffered with long COVID in 20, uh, 2021. Um I got COVID in August, and then um, it just it it wouldn't go. I just couldn't. August 2021 and then it just I remember Christmas I was um I went for a walk with my family actually and I couldn't keep up with my 60 year old dad you know I was absolutely just the chest was just awful so um that took a while to come back from um then just not really last year was just my own choice really just um we were getting married I wanted to focus on that that was quite a time consuming and working so I just came into January and was just not not very fit at all, hadn't swam for six months. Um, literally hadn't been in the pool since August, so um, it really showed. Um, and then it just took a while to come back and um, went to Lanzarote for two training camps in I think it was January and February. Um, and that really sort of helped get some base back in, um, which was good. Then I raced Lanzarote in March um, and then we. Had to sit down and think of a plan because again the license was coming to an end. So we had to sort of think of a plan to get it back as quick as uh the, the best way possible. Um and I, I quite like the draw of championship races. I've always sort of always done those sort of you know, 2019. I did um Texas, which was a championship race, and Frankfurt, which was the European championships then. So uh we chose Hamburg, um, and that was sort of the the big goal. Um and we got, and that was so June. So my license ran out on the fifth of June, and the race was on the fourth of June. Um, so that was that was the main goal for the year. So do you
0: obviously even with COVID and you know reducing your training to concentrate on getting married, you've got a base of fitness which you've built up over the last sort of fifteen years, and that never really goes, even though you think you're unfit and you put on a bit of weight, that you never really lose that that fitness, you've got the aerobic and you know and the and the pathways and the muscle memory and all of those other things that you've need. Do, do you find that you can get fit fairly quickly um on that on with that platform now if you just have a nice consistent spell of training?
1: Yes. Um it, it came back it came back well uh, it didn't feel like it came back quick because you know it's like it feels sometimes it feels a bit long feels harder like you're saying about you're swimming in your swimming your fifties in forties but it felt like 36s um it it came back quite nicely but what we we were actually quite worried because i hadn't had because i had two 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 and a half years of not much consistency was quite worried about coming back too quickly and doing too much Mm. too early. so it was quite a fine line of we had to we we could get the blocks in you know like the training camps but we we took a bit more recovery coming out of them just to be a bit more sensible and yeah not not try and get full fitness back in the first six months essentially. So we were quite sort of um we didn't rush that back that we didn't want to just keep push, we just didn't want to go back to what we're doing two years ago because we knew we had a bit of way to come back first. Um mm. it certainly came back nice and it was um some of the top end stuff that seems to take its time to come back. Like you say, the, the the endurance was I I could go out and ride my bike for five hours, it was fine. Um it just mm. I tried doing anything a bit too hard it was just I couldn't do too much of that
0: yeah I suppose there's always that question of when you're racing even when you're trying to go sub eight is how much of that top end do you really need because uh you know an eight hour performance isn't uh isn't really a threshold
1: for much of the time is it no no it's not um which it, it was more the shock in Lanzarote actually the um 70.3 that was a uh, I just I I'd, I'd burned every single match I had on that bike just to stay within the group, and I I, I knew while I was on the bike that what I was doing, but I I went there to race, so I just I yeah I got around the run, but um yeah it but so for for an Ironman, no, I certainly didn't. Although well, I did set oh, this, will, this will make you laugh. I did set a five second power PB at Hamburg, so um it, <laughs> it is quite front. it is quite surgy um so yeah yeah
0: you've got. You've got to be. We'll we'll talk about the race in a minute, but you've got to be careful of that now when you've got that pace line. Because if you decide you need to be at the front, um, you know, to pass all those people already working at three hundred watts, you're going to have to put in a big effort for a few minutes to get past, and then eventually you'll be exhausted, and they'll all just come whistling past you anyway. So it's, uh, you know, it's it's a lot more tactical Ironman racing now than ever used to be.
1: Yeah, it's it's so much different to age group racing. I remember, yeah, yeah, we spent years. Um it was a bit like an individual time trial now, isn't it? With the rolling starts and whatnot, you sort of you you never really know who you're racing because you don't know what everyone is. But um you go back in go into a pro field and it is it could be a bit like a a crit race sometimes. Uh it's certainly Mm -hmm. you know it it depends on the dynamics of the race, but yeah, it's it is very different. Um it's not what I thought it was gonna be like.
0: Well, let's let's just finish off talking about the training sound. Can you give us an idea of what your um, your training weeks look like, and how how they progressed from um January up to sort of peak fitness leading to Hamburg. Uh,
1: yeah, I suppose. Um, very. We had a January was very sort of base mileage. Um, you know, low intensity work. I was doing a bit of um, I'd say intensity on the run, just some VO two reps, just to try and get some. You know, I needed. You need to lift the ceiling. You need to get the ceiling back somewhere, don't you? So, mm-hmm. um, we did a bit of work on that, but that was just on the run. Um, And then, but you 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 do get VO two work in Lanzarote anyway because there's hills. <laughs>
0: yeah, in the wind.
1: Yeah. yeah. So just um, to stay upright. And you got to trace cat up a hill because she's doing reps. So you know, like it's um, there there is VO two work in there. So, and we we but but the to make it simple, the we the aim was that we would aim to get the VO two work in in the pool and the run and the bike we didn't do any real set reps it was just base work but if you had a bit of vo2 in it from getting over some climbs and some wind then we we sort of went with that and that was sort of up till march and then coming into sort of april april may we started putting in some sort of longer reps for on the bike for the ironman um anything up to 30 minutes really i didn't really do anything over 30 minute reps um,
0: and what sort of intensity were those or, or wattage were
1: those uh, for that? me my longer reps are around 300 so 300 watts for me um would be a, around 19 90 percent of intensity factors 90 95 percent yeah um, i'm not the big powerhouse that um everyone likes to be but it works um for me so i would anything between that i would, I would sort of do anything between 10 to 30 minute efforts at sort of 300 watts really um mm-hmm. We've, but we try and do less recovery. so we're not really I'm not sort of having thirty minutes on and twenty minutes off. It's thirty minutes on, two minutes off, back on to thirty minutes wow. on. Um, so you know, just trying to create that fatigue in a in a in a shorter period. Um, but then and the run we sort of brought in a try something works for me quite well was doing um sort of a lot of longer runs at at marathon pace, just just at marathon Well, power we run to power. so um we we try to do a lot of longer runs that sort of marathon pace um anything up to sort of two two and a half hours um
0: when you when you talk about marathon pace sam are you talking about your your ironman triathlon marathon pace or yeah, no marathon pace not stand man?
1: no no not jesus that'd be like it that'd be like a
0: sort of like a halfway to threshold wouldn't
1: it exactly yeah um so no sort of I but I, I was basically doing long runs at like four minute k's essentially um was tr- trying to sort of build the runs up and it's sort of like fresh out the door just not fresh but straight out and sort mm-hmm. of um and they just they sort of because it, it you know an iron man an iron man run is a high zone two low zone three it's not it's not near your threshold is it you know you've just come off Yeah, not for two and a half, not for two hours forty-five. It's not. If it is, then someone's thresholds are wrong. So, um, (laughs) yeah, that's uh, um, we. uh, They they worked well for us. So it was. But I'd say I I did look the other day. Actually, average, I think average training hours this week this year, including sort of taper weeks and recovery weeks, was about eighteen hours. I think. Um, It's
0: interesting. Did you say um, you mentioned Cat? Those Cat Matthews part of Mark's group now.
1: No she's not part of Mark's group, but we swim together and we, there was um cat and cat up in indie Lee we um we sort of formed a, a squad really we just went to we just went to Lanzarote and cat lives not far from us, so that's who I swim with majority of the time and indie pops up as well so um,
0: I uh, I chatted with Cat on the podcast just after she won her first Iron man in Florida. And uh, obviously, she's gone. Sort of zoomed right up into the stratosphere since that time. But she just turned pro, and she, I was quite surprised about the low volume of her training at that point. You know, compared to a lot of pro athletes, I, I would imagine it's lifted somewhat since then. But she seemed to respond very well to uh, lower volumes of very specific training.
1: Yeah, she's. I think she's still with um, with Bjorn, and they still got a, a very. We again because we have very different sort of. Training methods. Um, we don't we don't do much more than swimming together. Really, um, we do when we're on camp, but at home it's it's hard. Like all the planets are lining, isn't it? Um, someone's got mm. this one day, and somebody has got that on another day. But on camp, it tends to be you swim, bike, run most days anyway. So it's not too much. It, we can sort of make things work. Um, so yeah, but she's still still um, putting us all in putting us all in our place. So she's. <laughs>
0: So I wanted to go back to uh, a couple of things you mentioned. He talked about doing VO two max training in the pool and then just really just getting the volume in on the bike and the run. Um, that's quite interesting. I had, a, I had a conversation with Professor Paul Larson um, recently, and he's written a book about the science of high intensity interval training. And we talked about VO two max and high intensity work for older athletes. And he was saying, you know, your body doesn't really know the difference between the training. You you could be swimming, you could be rowing, you could be running, you could be skipping. It's just that your heart has to respond to signals from your brain and your muscles to supply oxygen to them and then it has to pump harder. So you find the ways to do, if you're concerned about injury, find the ways to do VO2 max training in the least harmful way, the one that's going to cause least injury. I guess a lot of people would be more concerned about that intensity on the run. Um, he, He said that actually cycling was a really good way to to build vo2 max and he really likes the sort of short efforts particularly in the winter but he also made this point that if you're out riding um it doesn't have to be super structured where you have very specific 30 second efforts and 30 second rest you could just go on a on a route with a lot of little hills and sprint up those and get up to 95 percent of FTP, 100%, maybe a little bit over that, and then just back off and have 10 or 15 of those just randomly scattered throughout a ride. And, and actually, in the winter months, that would be enough for keeping that top end in shape. It doesn't yeah. need to be any more than that. And then a, a, another podcast I did with Gordo Byrne, he talked about how when he was coached by um, New Zealand coach John Hellemans, he used to have a base plan in the winter that didn't have any high intensity training other than a weekly race. So one week he would do a cyclocross race. Okay. And you know that that's going to be sort of threshold yeah. VO2 max. On another week, he would do um, something like a park run and then he would look out for swim galas where he would enter two or three events. And yeah. those those would be the high intensity work that he did weekly. And the rest of it, the rest of his actual structured training would all be own two type work. And I thought that's, that's actually a really intelligent way of training throughout the winter because a lot of people like to race, and you can. Most people seem to be able to push themselves more when they're racing than, than perhaps training on their own. So, uh, if if you could find regular races like that during the winter, that you you could do a program like that and come out of the, the winter in in really good shape.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that those those sort of races that you, they are they are brutal, aren't they? And you know, like cyclocross, um, they certainly would. Get the best out of you and you can always get the best out of you when um when you you've got a number on your back can't you that's certainly uh the, the best mm-hmm. way to, to get the best out of you i think just quickly going back to why we sort of for me it was doing the run interval was was we sort of we didn't want to do too much volume from where we hadn't mm-hmm. done much training so you know we was doing one interval session a week which was mm-hmm. it was it ranged from just a minute on a minute off it wasn't anything too, um again too structured it was just run harder Mm. and so but i think running is one of those you can get your vo2 up quite vo2 up quite quickly just by running you know because it's a so that was sort of the philosophy behind it It was not um not because we were looking for run speed etc we were just it was um Mm. we we did we weren't doing the volume to warrant you know we needed to get something else a bit more in to bring the run legs on a bit without Mm. the volume
2: That
1: was um, I'm also
0: interested in you talking about running with power. I, I did a podcast with Bobby McGee the other week, and we talked specifically about the stride power yeah. Is that the one you use?
1: Yeah, and I, yeah, I listened to that podcast. It's quite interesting, actually. Was, uh,
0: yeah. What? What? Um, can you can you share a little bit of insight as to how you use the, the the stride? Because I've had a few people saying, "Oh, you know, it doesn't really work for me. Uh, I couldn't work out the data, and there's so much, it just got confusing."
1: Um, that's, uh, as I say, listening to the, the podcast, I was sort of the opposite to something sort of your guest's name was, um, Bobby. Sorry, yeah, Bobby, yeah. he, um, so he was talking it very much from a coach's side, wasn't he? Um, yeah. when I, I look at it from an athlete side, um, okay. and I, and I look at it from as least, I look as, I look at as least information as possible. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. I let Mark worry about, um, my cadence and my velocity and everything you know that's um that's his job i personally i just look at power normalized power um and just i i I, because my sessions are built on run at this power for this time i look at that and i do that and i i I do prefer it um certainly for longer longer reps i don't think it's it's chase i think I, i I think it's like saying now, wasn't it? Go and go and ride at twenty mile an hour. You know what, what? For ten minutes, it's. I think it's a bit. I think it's a bit Jurassic. I think we need to sort of. There's a few more. There's there's ways of making it a lot, a lot, a lot mm-hmm. easier. And power, like it's a bit like on the bike. Power is power. It's. um mm-hmm. And I agree. The stride has moved on so much. I had one of the originals ones, and it wasn't as good. But they have moved on. You know, dramatic, dramatically. I, I feel so. They're. Um, I like it I do like it do you do you
0: find that the precision that that brings then means that you perhaps don't have to do as much running because you can get more out of less
1: yeah I certainly don't I certainly don't do as much running as I did sort of back in when I was 2018 2019 um but I certainly don't do as many intervals so I'm not quite sure where that works out but maybe the intervals I do are a bit more structured um the running I do do is a bit more structured, essentially. Um, mm-hmm and i I just liked having that that like you say that power doesn't change it what what actually notice i've noticed the best is I probably run a better run I don't run up the hill so hard, I run consistently, I run up it, and I'm able to run over the other side rather than get into the top. thinking oh mm. i could I could do it for a minute um you know <laughs> they it certainly makes you realize that and with power you realize that quite quickly um so i I love it I think it's good a great tool um. So we, and we, I I will be honest, I don't always say I'd use it in a race because sometimes I'm racing, you're racing, aren't you? So, you know, it's um, a bit like a power meter on the bike. I wouldn't always use, I'm not going to, I wouldn't sit there on the bike and go, oh, I'm going over my power. I'm going to sit here for me, you know, talking personally as a professional, you know, I have, you sort of have to go with the race a little bit. Um, Yeah. um, Again, the same with the the power and the running. I'm not going to, if someone runs past me and I want to to try and beat them, I'm not going to say, oh strides telling me I'm going too hard uh, I'm still going to try and I'm still going to try and be that racer so um, but it's a good good bench. Yeah.
0: I've got a couple of funny stories for you on that one so <laughs> on on heart rate monitors Pauli Kioru yeah. was a, a Finnish guy and he was very much invested in the polar heart rate monitors that, that yeah. and he was around at the time when they first made um, an introduction into endurance sports and he was leading in Hawaii on the run beating Mark Allen and Mark Allen caught him in one of those famous comebacks. But the, one of the reasons he caught him was because Pally was running along, looking at his heart rate and thinking, "It's saying my heart rate's too high. I need to slow down." And Mark, as he said uh, to me in a conversation, said, "If he would just kept running and, and forgotten about his heart rate, I'd have never caught him."
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, so that, and, and, that, and yeah, that, and I think you know the tools are great, and I think they're great. But fundamentally, we're racers, and I love racing. So yeah, that's uh, they're great for they're great training tools. Um,
0: so then, um, uh, in another Hawaii story, I remember we we had a we had a booth for Trainer right next to Cannondale, and the Cannondale was sponsored Farisals uh, town. and he'd won the year before. So at the press conference, I've noticed when I looked at his bike that his power meter, his SRM power meter, was all taped over. And I, and, I, and he was talking to the mechanics, and I said, "Do you mind if I ask why why you have a power meter there and it's all taped over?" He goes, "Well, that's just so that they can." produce the power data to show afterwards and I said well don't you use it he goes listen if Norman goes off the front goes hard I'm not going to sit back and just go I'm <laughs> over my power I've got to go and respond otherwise I'm not going to win the race yeah um, so that's much to your point there is, is yeah. racing's uh it's perhaps different for age group but when you're racing as a pro and, and we've talked about that and we'll talk about it a little bit more in a second it's the dynamics are completely different aren't they and you have to be more much more proactive yeah. or reactive sorry you have to be more reactive
1: that's a great story that and, and i like that that's not just you know that's like you know that's old that's an old story yeah that's not a that's not a 2021 story is it that's a oh, 90
0: that's a, a night nice, nice, i can't remember when farries won but it's a good 15 years
1: yeah. ago that story it so. shows that, yeah is, yeah. Uh, yeah it's good Race i like Yeah, you know, i like to hear those stories because racing is that's what racing is about isn't it I, yeah. yeah i'm not a, mm. i'm not a data i'm not a data racer i'm a racer so yeah uh,
0: all right well let's talk about hamburg then so um you said that you'd had a conversation with mark where he thought you could do 250 and uh you weren't so sure what what and also you you talked about how you needed to renew your license so i'm interested in knowing what 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 you had to do to get your license is it a percentage of the winner's time or is yes, it a placing
1: yeah. uh percentage time um okay uh, um initially so um you basically there's a bit uh, it's all open to the public actually you can go on to British Trials and have a look um mm. anyone wants to sort of like it's all a, a, a public knowledge system um but essentially the the higher the race value so in prize purse which the prize purses go higher with championship races yeah you get a higher percentage so I think I had to be within seven seven percent of the winner um so because I don't because you if you do it twice it could be nine percent but obviously I wasn't going to do an Ironman the next day so <laughs> I, need, I needed it to be seven uh, percent so um I was quite lucky Mark actually had a few athletes racing and, and came out so he was on the um sort of sidelines so but yeah that, that was the initial goal was I had to get seven percent within the winner of the race basically so that over an Ironman we didn't think it was going to be quite that fast a day. Um, so we'd worked it out on maybe like a 7.40 day, I think. So we sort of looked at, yeah, that's like 40 minutes. Um, was yeah, just under 40 minutes, because I think eight hours is 40 minutes. Uh, well, eight hours, 8% would have been 40 minutes on eight hours. So we'd sort of streamlined it down to maybe 30, 35 minutes over that distance race.
0: So if you thought it was going to be an 8, Sorry, a seven forty race that would have given you coming in at around eight, somewhere under eight fifteen. Yeah,
1: yeah, that was that was the plan. Which it, right. we had data to back that. We did that in twenty nineteen, but we weren't. We didn't feel. We know we're not as fit as I am. What I was back then. Yeah. So we we were on a bit of a. It was one of those roll the dice situations for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah that was the initial thought that was how we, that's how we planned the day to go from the, the outset
0: so you 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 say you're a racer so when you go to events like that and then you've got the pressure of having to do a particular time to maintain that license does that fill you full of excitement or are you absolutely filled with trepidation or is it a mix
1: uh, generally excitement i was i think i was more Dreading, not dreading. Dreading is the wrong word. uh I was more apprehensive about Hamburg simply because I hadn't done it for so long. um I just hadn't. I just hadn't put. I hadn't raced. It, it, I did Lanzarote last year, but that wasn't a race. That was a survival, so I don't. I don't count that. But um, <laughs> it was um,
0: Lanzarote is always a survival
1: yeah. anyway. I think even um, when you fit. Yeah, and I wasn't fit, so it was. You can imagine how that was. Um, so, it, it, yeah, it was. I was just really. Um, apprehensive about. I I didn't believe in myself. I, in all honesty, I didn't believe I had to, what it took to um, you know swim w- within a group, and I just had dreads of. I just had all I could remember was Lanzotti and me being spat out the back from first. So that was in my head, you know, going into the race. So I just wanted to prove to myself and to you know Hannah and Mark that I could do it. Um, so that was more in my forefront of the my of my mind. But the plan was to get in a good a, a good swim um, and just sort of take the day as it comes. You know, you could sit there and plan it as much as you like. You have to, you have as, mm. as right, you have to, you have to think on the fly. You can't. Um, we tried not to overanalyze it from the beginning. We tried to just think on the fly, and that's what mm. I did. I did on the day, um, and it all came together.
0: So. Um- you're getting in the swim. How many pros are racing? Because I guess you get a pro start, so it's a little bit less of a bun fight yeah. than it would be as an age grouper.
1: Yeah, and it was a bit of, a bit less of a bun fight than usual because uh, there was about I think there was about there was about fifty on the start list, but there was definitely wasn't fifty that started. I think it was thirty eight. I think started something along that line. Um, and they called. They normally they, they do the usual call in the top the top seeds into the into the water, and because it was a. It was a deep water start. It wasn't a dive start or anything. And they called everybody in and they left. I think it's because the water is a bit chillier than normal. They left Jan till last because I don't think he wanted to be in the water for long, like why they were calling the others in. And they called him last. And then they said, oh, when welcome everybody else. And then they were like, right, 10 seconds to go. So like we literally had to scramble. We literally just squim into the start line as the gun went off. So we didn't really get a good position, essentially. But um I had a good swim uh I just I I, I got in a group with Matt Hanson um James mm-hmm. Scott Clinton and there was a couple of others um and we swam we had a good swim um we I could, it, it, the swim was it was about as exciting as the swim got unfortunately it's um it's just a straight out along the top <coughs> of that down through a couple of bridges um so it's a uh, canal is it is it is it the river it's a river yeah
0: yeah yeah right I okay, so
1: yeah. right in the right yeah. in the middle of the city yeah, right in the middle of the city, where they b- basically start, where they do the WTCS race. So it's basically where that transition is. Um We basically start there, but we just swim a bit further. Um, so yeah, it was, a, it was a it was a bit of a surgy swim, but it was it was fine. It was um sort of felt quite comfortable. And I thought you just never know where you are in the swim, do you? You can nah. you, you you saw arms further up the road, but I didn't know how far. Far up the road they were, but they weren't as far up as we initially thought. Which I think was only well. That,
0: well, don't, don't you find as well? You see those arms, and you look up, and you think, "I must be last." It looks like all yeah. the arms are up there, yeah. and they're so far away. And actually, yeah. you're not. It's just, it's just very confusing.
1: Yeah. splashing You just see arms and splashes, don't you? But you don't. Yeah. You know, yeah. So yeah.
0: And we talked earlier about how much different the dynamics are of um the pro field in Ironman events these days. Um. When you come out of the swim, it seems to me now that whereas before the the athletes come out in sort of small groups now, most people are bunched in and the the, the running through T1 is pretty much like a WTS race. Everybody's sprinting through because nobody wants to miss that pack. Although, you know, people be thinking, hold on a minute, it's non-drafting, but there is still a pace line and you definitely don't want to be missing that and in the second group
1: yeah, for sure. When so when I came out, I I actually fell over, which didn't help my chances. So um, <laughs> well, sorry, I you no, know, you weren't the only person to laugh. Um, so I just sort of stood up, I went flat on my side, which was it was quite entertaining, really. Um, but yeah, I initially got a, you know you run into transition, and I saw the the inspiration for me was that I saw Matt Hanson was there. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, that was like. Yeah, I know he wants to get to the front of the race. I need to be in this group if if we want to get to the front of the race. Um so all I was thinking coming through transition was don't don't lose Matt basically. Um and oh, if you know Matt, he runs quite fast. Um so yeah, yeah, trying to keep up with him through transition was uh is tr- and trying to get everything done. They had one of these um they had a really weird rule where you had to put your helmet on by your bag. Um which is the same for everyone, but it was just a weird rule because it's like an 800 metre run through transition with an aero helmet on, just going bang, 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 bang. It wasn't, the, um, but but you could take it off when you got off the bike, which was quite funny. But anyway, that was, um. so yeah, so the main goal was just, I think there was five of us um, was just make sure I get, get, get in that group. Um, and luckily I managed to stay in that group. So um, I think Matt, Got off first and I was second and then there was I think there was five of us that stayed a, a five for quite a while um, out onto the bike and then it all started coming back a bit bit together probably about 50 60 kilometers in um, mm. so it was a but that that is like you say that is come out the swim that is right I need to stay in this group that is my race so when when you're in that when you're
0: in that second group, uh, are you consciously trying to bring yourself back to the group or are you trying to hold a pace is is there a, you know you've got to keep your you've got to keep your distance is it 12 meters now that they've got or is it still 12, you know, front or, front 12. Front. 12. And, and are you and you and you using those race ranger things to keep your distance not or have you just got over, to do it on field
1: they're not there that Ironman haven't got them over in Europe yet I know they've tried them down in um, sort of New Zealand I think they had early in the year and PTO had them in Race Ranger, that is, in um, Ibiza, but we haven't had them in our Europe yet. Okay, so
0: you are you, are you consciously trying to work together as a group? You know, are you taking it turns in the front or is just do you just know that there's one guy who's more powerful and he's gonna just sit on the front and pull everybody along? Uh
1: for the given for the given time, I I from for my objectives of the day, I was actually trying to do as least amount of work as possible, but move forward as right. quick as possible. Um <laughs> um I like that but it's again it's a race and i'm quite I'll, I'll be quite honest about that matt i know when we get to t2 matt's going to run off and leave us so i'm certainly not going to do too much work to pull him pull him up um, and when so when you got into the city there's an out and back quite early on where we saw the front group um and when you saw who's in the front group you know um i saw you know christian haugenhog uh jasper there were some strong riders that I know I'm not going to close that gap. So it sort of becomes into as much as I'd like to be at the front of the race, you need to be realistic and say, you know, I, I need to, I need to do my best for, uh, as an Ironman, essentially. It's not, it's not an Olympic distance race. We've got, you know, we've got another six and a half hours of this. So yeah, let, yeah. let's, let's try and play a bit of the game, but Matt led for a bit. And then uh, another couple of guys came through that were quite happy to stronger Stronger rides, sort of quite happy to pull, pull us up. So um, um, I actually lost all my nutrition at, at 80, well, all of my nutrition at 20K. So I sort of had other things to concentrate on.
0: Oh, you so what, So you were that speed bump victim that I talked about earlier?
1: Yeah, so I basically, yeah, I basically, um, all you know, my, uh, I had, it was about 20K and 45 minutes in. I, we went, we turned left into this, uh, you turn left into like this docking yard and it goes over some cobbles. And my front bottle just fell out and you know when you sort of see it coming out and i went to catch it and i just and i missed it and it exploded um and i was like well there's no point even stopping to you know pick it up because it, it exploded um and then i reached round to the back the back page to get the one that was in the back but that was no longer in the back either oh. um, which was which was quite funny because uh, after the race i spoke to james and he Scott Farrington, and he said he did have a chuckle to himself when I reached round to get the bottle that wasn't there because I didn't know it wasn't there. Um, so That's stiff. Yeah.
0: So um, just just let folks know what sort of drafting you actually get. You know, you're twelve meters behind somebody, but you do still get a benefit from being in a the line there, don't you? It's not completely breaking the wind.
1: No, you don't. know you definitely don't. Um, you definitely. Sorry, you definitely do get. Uh, there is a gain to it. Um, it's it, in that sort of race it became such a bum fight that you you, you i it was so hard to stay within a distance because there was just so many there's so many athletes on course um yeah. and it, i i people won't like talking about it but i don't mind talking about it it's um it is it, unfortunately it's where the sport is at um but you, i'd say it's a 10 15 saving minimum you know you you and you've just got something to focus on. Like it's not, you're not sitting at the rather than you sitting there, you oh, know, am I doing the right power? You're just sitting there following, trying to stay 12 meters. And yeah, mm. and it gives you something a bit more to focus on. And it sometimes it hurts, sometimes you get a bit of a rest. So yeah, like I say, sometimes you're doing, they put a surgeon in, and you're doing 400 watts to try and keep with them, or sometimes you're doing 180 watts because you've sort of, you, you've, You've gone a bit too hard within that because you, you don't know what they're doing, do you? It's sort of a, a very different dynamic. The race, yeah. So,
0: um, is it two laps at Hamburg?
1: Two laps, yeah. yeah. So,
0: at some point, are you getting caught up in some of the back markers of the age group race?
1: Yes, as soon as we started the second lap, there were still people, right. coming out. yeah.
0: So, how much does that impact what you're trying to do?
1: In all honesty, this year it didn't. I wouldn't say they got. The, you, there was a lot of people on course, but I wouldn't say they got in the way. In, in In all, in in my experience this year, I've been in races where they do, but I felt this year they were very good. Everyone kept to the right. We had a motorbike in front of our group, so I think mm-hmm. that helped because they had a motorbike sort of coming through and like letting us know were there.
0: What yeah. about when you come to feed stations then, and you've got age groupers? sort of slowing down to get a water bottle and you want to get one and there's a lot of people there you know how do how do you uh, how do you plan for that
1: uh that was a pain um i must have certainly as a i was actually needed to get um aid because i'd lost mine so i was sort of you I, I wouldn't always normally use the aid stations but where i'd lost my fluid i was lo- i was looking to use them um i'd soon worked out on the first lap what aid stations were good to use and which ones weren't um there was a, a quite a fast one which I just didn't bother using because it would you <laughs> would have had to have broke, but there was one coming back that was on a slower section that I used. So um, yeah, I, it is it is it is a problem, um, and I think we all know what happened at Hamburg, and you know it was obviously it wasn't a great day for that. But um, the the athletes as such. I I just didn't have a problem. I, I, some people might have done, but the age group athletes certainly weren't a problem. I think it was more the. Um, the amount of athlete professional athletes within our group for me that was a problem um mm. more than the actual age group is on the course on the day um
0: yeah yeah i mean it, it was a sad day at hamburg i suppose we shouldn't shouldn't um finish the, end the podcast without chatting a little bit about it you know just from your perspective uh, from my understanding it happened on a section that was quite busy with athletes going in both directions and the the motorcyclist was did he have a heart attack was that was that the um
1: i I, from what i understand yeah i don't think any of us really know and i don't think anyone's released any real real information. um but i um i yeah as an athlete on the course at the time we didn't obviously i didn't see what had happened um a lot easier for people to comment who were watching the, the feed um the live feed but i think i have to sort of I have to be honest with myself and on, on the time I I think Ironman did a very good job as from, for us as athletes. I know, I know a lot of people leave. They didn't make the right decision within obviously the amount of motorbikes that were on the course of, of course that goes without question, but for athletes to continue on the day, I think they did a good job. Um, and as athletes, you know, a lot of people say, no, it should have been canceled. It should have. And I think you you just can't, you can't cancel two and a half thousand people out on a course. It's, it's, But in my opinion, um, they did a really good job. We we didn't know anything about. Obviously, we knew there'd been a crash, but we didn't know the the, the severity of the crash until we'd finished. So, um, mm. I think it was quite hard as a, as us for athletes to um, sort of process that afterwards. Um, and I still, yeah, I think I think it's quite sad. Yeah, it's obviously a very sad day, and I feel that. Um, athletes still did some great performances there and obviously I don't, I'm don't. obviously not, not taken away from what had had has happened but it was um I, I, I think they did I think Man did the best in the in the situation
0: from from where you were did you did you get the sense that it was unsafe at all the, the way the, the sort of the front of the race was sort of conducted in terms of the press and the the athletes and the way the course was laid out
1: Again, at the time, you know, we were, we were racing, we saw them for split seconds going the other way. And I I honestly thought there was too many motorbikes that we we you know, the group I was in, we I think we all sort of looked at each other and thought, well, there's no way we're gonna get up to that because you just they were just moving so much faster. Um seeing coverage afterwards, uh, it, it was unsafe. Um, but I at the time, I don't I don't believe i need to be careful what i but don't, i don't believe that um the amount of bikes on the course caused that accident looking you know from what i've heard like obviously there was too many bikes on there um hmm. i might not be that popular for saying that but if if the guy if the guy had had a heart attack i don't think how many other guys would have been on that bike course would have made a difference so but there was yeah. fundamentally there was too many there is too many bikes on the race course and at that time there was um and it it was just a sad day um but I think we, um, I think they handled it well in for the races. Um, mm. We 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 didn't know what had happened on the race day. We got directed round, and it was all, it was all well well marshaled, and we were safe. So um, it was a it was just a sad day.
0: Yeah, and I guess that's all you can speak about, isn't it? Is your particular experience of that race on that particular time? Uh, you know, it's it's unfair to sort of um, try and. Make comment on things that you weren't experiencing or didn't see.
1: Yeah, I saw a lot on. You know, there was a lot on obviously social media after the race, but again, we didn't see it. We just didn't see any of that. I was four minutes behind the crash, so I just didn't. I didn't see. Yeah, it. yeah, could, yeah. And all I can comment on is what happened for us throughout the day. And we had a. Yeah, we had a. Uh, we had a. We had a race. So that was. um We had not. We didn't have a race. We had a. We had a job to do, and we were allowed to do that. So that's that's fine.
0: As you as you're riding along, and I guess you've got you've got some data, have you? And I know you said Mark was out on course. Did you get anything from him? Did you see him at all? Or
1: yes. Um, so I got I, I knew when I got off the bike, I knew I didn't know how far down I was um, until Mark. Mark, I think I think we was about eighteen minutes down off the bike, maybe a bit a bit less um, from the leader, but all the only information I said to Mark was just, I don't need to know. I don't need to know. I know I'm not going to win. So like that's not, I don't need to know how far, how far I am from the front. I need to know what I need to do um, to get the, you know, the the, the goal was the license. And that was Mm. that, that, yeah, that became, that was the objective. So going off and getting a run PB wasn't the objective, getting to the Mm. finish within the time was the objective. Right. So, when it comes to run, I should say the the goal was always to run a two fifty. I thought if we run a two fifty, well, that's what I thought I could run. So the, we I set off at a bit quicker than two fifty pace, um, yes. as you always do, um, and I, I just tried to and it, but it felt comfortable, so I just went with it. Um, mm. I think I think I went through half in around one twenty two. So well, yeah, was it wasn't, wasn't a a, a massive drop off, but a little drop off. Um, I'd just get just and then i think on the last lap i saw mark and he was like you know just just keep plugging away just keep pushing away you could get sub eight so i just tried plugging away and, wow. yeah um so we, i knew if he was saying other stuff i knew i was okay on the license if he for example like if, if he was telling me to hurry up i knew i wasn't okay if he was telling me to keep plugging away i knew i was okay
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, you, you, you i think you know you don't want too much information do you you just need the basic information um,
2: yeah, yeah
0: yeah well there's only so much you can shout to somebody as they're going past they're not going to stop and have a conversation are you no <laughs> that's a full long paragraph in
1: i was basically I, I said to him at the start he's like what do you want to know i just said faster or slower that's all it just fast if i need to go if i need to give more tell me i need to give more but if i don't then don't say much else so mm-hmm. that was that was um and but that was and that was the objective. So it was uh, the last. I think I got cramped on the last, uh, the last eight hundred meters, um, and I had to have a little shuffle. But I got moving again, and um we were over the line. And uh it, I spent I think I think spent a week still wondering if I'd still get my license because as much as I knew I'd done enough, um you still got to wait for that email to come through to say here's your license because mm. it, it's I, I don't I don't don't feel like it's a dead cert until you get it um even though
0: so so what was the most important thing for you as you crossed that finish line have i got my license or i've got sub eight hours
1: the most important was just finishing a race and up and, and knowing i could be competitive again i think was the yeah. for me was the first was the first fault was knowing that i could do it and um, there was a lot of doubt in my mind whether i could get back to racing competitively yeah and i, I say competitive i was 19th but you know it's a it's a a stepping stone to get back up to where uh, a stepping stone throughout the year and future years. So, um, you know, that was, that was a big goal. And that for me, had I not got the license, I think I would have still been relatively happy with myself. Um, because again, for the license, you're sort of relying on everybody else. um
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's an outcome rather than the process, that one, isn't it?
1: It is, isn't it? You know, um, it's not really, it depends how quick the winner went, you know, if, if, and that's essentially, is it essentially is it, isn't it? How quick you, how quickly you can go behind the the winner. So, yeah. so I, I think I still would have been happy, but it was a, a big, a big relief knowing that that's signed off now for me. That was a real, a, a big relief.
0: And, you know, there's been some amazing performances, not just at Hamburg, but at Roth and at um, uh, this past weekend at uh, Frankfurt. What do you think that's telling us about, you know, triathlon as a whole, the pro sport, the, the just the level of competition, you know, anything else? Um, and also the day, you know, the day you had. Talk about that a little bit because you mentioned something to me in, the, in our pre-chat about low air pressure. And I, I, I've heard about that when they talk about time training and cycling. But talk about how that makes an impact on performance as well, Sam, if you can
1: uh well yeah I, I, I certainly from my experience in hamburg i, I, I can't talk about it at roth but I, i've heard that you know it was it, it in roth i've heard that it was just a good day um but again you know in hamburg it was a, a low air pressure you essentially it's why time trialists do it's sort of why time trialists do their um hour records at altitude and whatnot because there's lower air pressure so you move through the air quicker um and I, you yeah, know, we had low air pressure at hamburg it was a, a cooler day it wasn't it certainly it was a nice sunny day it was 20 degrees but you know mm. for the for the forefront of the bike you know it was sort of um sort of got out of the water it's 12 14 degrees you know it, it it it's a quick day there wasn't much wind um so they are just making the. it it was a quick day and with aerodynamics and um everything improving i think times are just going to get quicker um so and i think that i can speak about that in hamburg it, it was just a quick day for you know for me to go sub eight, it must have been a quick day. <laughs> you know, yeah, well,
0: don't, you've still got to put that. I mean, that's <laughs> that's the thing, Sam. You've still got to run a 246 marathon, right? It doesn't matter yeah, yeah. about aerodynamics or whether you've got a current in the in the, in the the river. Once you get onto that run, um, you're really just about propelling your body forward and you've still got to run a 246. And it's it, that's unassisted, really. And, yeah. and it's after, you know, five hours of Pretty hard effort, um, in that heat, you know, you're getting dehydrated. You, you, you know, you're having to manage your nutrition. So, it's still, it's still, an amazing performance, even on a good day to run two forty six marathon. And I think that's uh, that. That would certainly get you, um, certainly get you a place at Boston, for good for age and all those other things, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. In, yeah. A in in a standalone event.
1: Yeah, certainly. I you know, I I, I joke because I don't like to give myself too much credit, but um, it because it, you know I like to improve, but. It was um I struggled to get my head at you know it just it triathlon has just changed so much in the last it just in the last two three years it, it, and we're seeing that aren't we and yeah and I don't I don't I, you know, we can sit here and speculate what it is I think you know, I, I hope it was a quick day because <laughs> um <laughs> it's, uh, if they're going to start going much quicker then um we we better start working a bit harder but um it's I think it's yeah it's great for the sport for me um it it's yeah perfect idea I think it's I think it's good but what do you think of it you know how how you know like you know you've been in the sport even longer than I have and you know like I'm a baby in the sport um compared to how you know as a as a fan as well how do you sort of do you you, how do you feel about it how what's your thought I
0: mean if you if if you look back to to Hawaii times, Mark Allen and Dave Scott had that erasing race back in 1989 and they went sort of 8.068. Maybe it was a bit faster, but they were running 240 marathons then. And that's 30-odd years ago, more than 30 years ago. And you think, well, have performances really improved? What, what you had then was two guys who were pushing each other, you know, in their training and their performances. And on that one day, they just had that where they were running together until the last mile. So they were just going until somebody popped. But now, you were sub-8, 7.55. That's one of the fastest times ever by a British Ironman uh, male. And you were 19th, and there was a few guys behind you that also went sub-8. So that's, that's like the top 24, I think, went sub-8. That's just phenomenal. Because 20 years ago, when Lothar Lader first did that sub-8 performance in, in Roth, I think, when it was Ironman Germany, he was the only one. and And that was... It was quite a while before anybody else went sub eight, and now I think the fastest time we've seen is like you know in a race is like seven. I think somebody went seven twenty six at the weekend in in Roth, um, so that's half an hour faster. But it's taken twenty years to get there. Yeah. Um, but it's also what's changed significantly and definitely in the last few years is that depth of talent. So you are yeah, on race day. There would have been a time running a seven fifty five when you'd have been on your own running that and you'd probably been coming in the top three or four now that you could probably you could probably feel people breathing down your neck and you could see people up ahead that were just within touching distance if you could just pick it up you know if they slow down a bit you can move up another place and so i'm I'm no doubt that that spurs you on in your performance
1: yeah and i um i'm I'm sort of I, I I don't also believe that I you know had there been a lesser field I probably would have gone that quick I think you know having that having that strength of field certainly mm. makes you get the best out of yourself one reason why I do quite enjoy racing sort of championship races is because y- you might not get the the podiums and the and the mm. you know the the top steps or the the top results but you get the top performances and I think that is a and that's one thing I, I do enjoy is getting the, the best performances out of myself so going to these these yeah yeah going to these deeper races certainly um inspire me to keep keep training yeah I looked at a race I think was it um an Ironman in was it Montreux Blanc and I just looked and there was it was like there was I was watching it and it was it was boring there was no one there and I just think I I, I, I wouldn't want to go and race that because there wasn't, it wasn't a race. Essentially, yeah. whatever everyone was running on their own, there was no, mm-hmm. uh, there was no atmosphere. So, you know, for me, the, the championship races and the quicker results and the quicker days are, are what keep what, what keeps me in the sport. I think um, mm. yeah, certainly keep me keeps me going. Um, and you you get finished earlier, so you can go and have a beer earlier. That's that's the most. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, and they certainly look after you in the post-race uh, athlete area, don't they, at the German Ironman races?
1: I must say, I didn't actually go in it. To be fair, I, I sort of uh, um, I tend to not. It's the last thing I tend to want to do after an Ironman is sit down and talk to athletes. I tend to go and um, tend to go and put keep myself to myself somewhere. But um, that's just me. Um, yeah, I. Uh, bit like you like like to sometimes get away from from so I, yeah.
0: I i did Frankfurt the first year it was um ever put on i think or in the first or second year and uh i couldn't do the run but i'd already paid you know and all my friends are going out so i thought well, i'm just going to do the bike and the swim and then enjoy the hospitality so i was first went back into the athlete's end you know there's this great yeah. big marquee and it was like a huge great big buffet and they were serving beers as well and so me and this um, there was a German guy that had pulled out as well, so we sort of went and had, a, had our own little party before everybody else arrived, so <laughs> that was quite good fun. Um, and you,
1: had, we'll and talk- you had, not in yet to so you could enjoy it. So the oh, yeah, one, yeah. one bit that fatigues you the most, you could, you could enjoy Yeah, it. Well,
0: well, well, also, because we, we were able to go and sit in the grandstand, and uh, I, I can just remember being in this square, um, and the seating was sort of six feet above where the athletes ran in, so it was almost like you're running down this tunnel and watching whoever won coming down the finish line, you could barely see the top of the head. They were carrying this flag, and it was going mental. There must have been twenty thousand people. There. It was like being in a football stadium. I, I've never ever been in an atmosphere. I've not been to Roth, so I, I can't speak for that. But I've never ever been in an atmosphere like it at a finish. You know, yeah. I've, been, I've been to a fair few my races. I've been to you know Hawaii plenty of times, and there's a good atmosphere there. But I've never been in in so many people just going mental as the winner came across the line it was just phenomenal
1: they certainly yeah. uh, they, the Germans they, love it they, don't they they was um, I'm surprised you haven't been too rough actually that's a
0: yeah, I know, that's something I, I know. would
1: have thought must be on your it's got to be on no, your no it is,
0: it is it is I need to uh, I need to sort of talk myself out of retirement and, and just, <laughs> just tick, that, tick that one off before it's too, too um, out of my uh, out of my league
1: if you go sub nine Simon, mean, when you only have to pay ninety nine euros, so it's <laughs> an incentive to come back and do a sub nine, is it? Yeah, the,
0: the only the only way I'm going to be doing sub nines now, Sam, is if I do that repeat of that Frankfurt thing and do swim and bike. <laughs> I think uh, I think my best was at ten eighteen in um in a race in the UK. So, um, but that was when I was thirty five. The chances of doing that when I'm sixty are uh, slim. Yeah. Um, Maybe if I could just maybe I'll maybe I'll do it as a 60th birthday thing. How about that? Yeah, I've said it live on a podcast now, maybe. so uh, people are going to be writing in and saying, "Go for it, go for it."
1: Hold you to that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, look, you talked about um, you, you love racing, you love championship races. What, what's next for Sam Proctor? Where, where do you go from a sub a sub eight, Sam? Um,
1: I think. Well, we're going to do a little local race for me. I probably wonder that probably the it's the race I enjoy the most in my I think Holcomb so I'm doing outlaw Holcomb. Um it's not yeah, a, man,
0: hopefully I'll call you across the finish line on Sunday.
1: Yeah, yep, yeah, please do. Um so yeah that's just a but I just love that race. That's uh, that's that's home isn't it so it's um that's you can't beat racing at home. Uh, but job wise the next one will be is Iron Man Italy. Um
2: mm-hmm. it's not a championship
1: race but um we're that was one that fitted in the schedule um and then after that i'd probably like to do florida which is it tends to get quite a good field. so there's mm-hmm. two, i've got two more on the radar for the year um so hence for the steadier start in the training was to sort of prolong the, the season rather than sort of aiming earlier in the season we want to try and have a longer season um so yeah that's that's what's next uh italy and i've said it live on a podcast now so i've got to do it haven't i not um, so, know <laughs> italy and um italy and Florida. but um i think we're going to try and uh, italy as a bit of a holiday we're going to drive down and watch nice mm. first watch the world yeah. championships the week before and then drive over to italy so be a nice um be nice to watch that and then go and race the week later so yeah that's my plan
0: uh-huh. I was just about to ask you whether you were going to make that holiday. Then, when you said about Florida, I thought well, maybe it won't make it too much of a holiday because you don't want to uh, you don't want to enjoy too much uh, too much Italian wine.
1: No, too much ice- no, too much, too much ice cream. No, I do. I do like to have a bit of time off after a race. though. I find it gets me. Um, mm-hmm. They're hard days, aren't they? I, I'm not. A, I can't do a canworth going race the next week. That's not my. Um, that's not my cup of tea. Um, <laughs> I, I need a. I need a bit of time. Uh-uh. Yeah,
0: I know people who do that, and I think eventually it catches up with everybody. Even if you're an even if you're an ultra athlete, I think it uh, it catches up with everybody eventually.
1: For sure, <laughs> one was you on that one.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Sam, it's been fabulous listening to your, um, your your life story and how you've got there. Many congratulations again on that sub eight hour performance. I, I imagine that there are some times when you think about it, when you're still pinching yourself that you were able to do that performance. Um, but you've done it and it was you and it was true and uh, so congratulations best best wishes um, at your next event uh, this podcast will be in the future from Holcomb so we'll be we'll be looking backwards towards that race but I look, I look forward to seeing you at the weekend and um, very best mechanical look for Italy and Florida later on in the year
1: Great, thanks Simon it's been a uh, great uh, chat to you and I'll catch up with you this weekend
0: Sure will Take care my friend Cheers Simon thank you again to sam for being my guest on the show this week i really hope you enjoyed that insight into what it's like to go sub eight to make sure you don't miss any one of our podcasts in the future please go to itunes search for high performance human Triathlon podcast and click the subscribe button and if you have time we'd love it if you can leave us a review on apple podcasts because they make a massive difference to our rankings Please also keep in mind our partnership with Precision Fuel and Hydration, which gets you a 15% discount on your first order if you click on the link in the show notes. Going forward, you'll regularly hear CEO Andy Blow or one of his colleagues on the show sharing some of their latest insights or answering your questions. And on this last point, if you have a sports nutrition question that you like answering, please send it in to me via beth at the triathloncoach.com and we'll get back to you with an answer, the best of which will be aired on this show. Please make sure you check out the show notes for links to all of those items that I have mentioned above. So that's it for this week. Thank you again for listening, and I will see you on the next episode.